Chapter Eleven of the Girls of Friendly Terrace by Harriet Loomis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven Christmas Preparations. Peggy's door was locked again, but this time it was not Ruth's fault. Peggy would have said, if questioned, that she had troubles of her own, and the chances are that it would not have occurred to her that there was anything incongruous in the selection of such a phrase to describe her Christmas preparations. The little bedroom, usually a model of exquisite neatness, in spite of its simplicity, now suggested a compromise between a church fair and a rummage sale. Articles in various stages of completion were draped over the furniture or hung on doorknobs. The bed was piled so deep that often when bedtime approached, Peggy was tempted to take to her easy chair for the night for what of the night was left that is to say for peggy was infringing sadly on those hours warranted to make one healthy and wealthy and wise if properly observed mrs raymond was uneasy when she saw the gleam of light through the transom long after midnight but peggy met all remonstrances with the plead oh please don't say anything mother till christmas is over you know i've got to finish when dorothy rattled the doorknob this particular afternoon peggy's start was suggestive of overstrained nerves her voice was unnaturally sharp as she demanded, "'Who's there?' "'Me.' "'You know you can't come in, Dorothy. Run away and play.' The knob rattled again. It was not an aggressively loud sound, but Peggy was just tired enough to find it unendurable. Her lips tightened. "'Dorothy, will you please stop that noise? This minute!' Surprise kept Dorothy motionless for almost thirty seconds." "'What are you doing?' she asked, after that amazing pause, her rosy lips close to the keyhole, her voice persuasive. "'I'm making something you can't see. Please don't bother.' Peggy jerked her thread savagely. She was, as a matter of fact, hemstitching the little petticoat of the doll she was dressing for Dorothy. She had laughed when her mother suggested that it was hardly worth while to take such pains. "'A strip of embroidery gathered and put in a band would please the child just as well.' she isn't old enough to appreciate the work you are putting into these dainty little garments work i don't call it work it's just fun said peggy blithely and it's such a tiny way round a doll's petticoat mother that it won't take any time to speak of there would have been time enough if there had not been so many things of the same kind trifles demanding little time when taken separately but together filling to overflowing peggy's hours of leisure and infringing on the time she needed for recreation and sleep. She thought of them with a sense of nervous apprehension, which was far removed from anything festive. There were two of the sweet peas on her mother's centerpiece not yet finished, and those sweet peas took so long. "'I must finish Aunt Rachel's bureau scarf tonight,' Peggy thought. "'I've got to allow for the mails being slow. Perhaps I'd better leave this till that is done, for I can finish the doll the very last thing.' She tucked the petticoat out of sight and produced the bureau scarf from under a rainbow litter of Dresden ribbon, scraps of silk, and odds and ends of lace, all of which Peggy designed for a special use. Next year, thought Peggy, frantically attacking the bureau scarf, I'm going to begin my Christmas presents New Year's afternoon. Perhaps if I start the first of January and keep right at it through the year—why, what's that? There was a sound in the hall, a choked, low, pitiful sound that seemed startlingly out of place with Christmas near. The bureau scarf dropped to the floor, the spool of thread and the thimble made a bee-line to hide themselves under the dresser, as if they both had enough of getting ready for Christmas. 
Peggy herself lost no time in turning the key and bolting into the hall, where Dorothy, a pensive little heap, her face hidden on her knees, was weeping. Dorothy had a variety of ways of crying. When angry, her tears were accompanied by shrill squeals, as pathetic as a fife playing Yankee Doodle. If she hurt herself, she was more likely to relieve her feelings by noise than by tears, suggesting those summer showers whose thunder peals and lightning flashes prepare us for a deluge, but which content themselves, after all, with a few scattering drops. These emotional outbreaks on Dorothy's part Peggy took philosophically. But when she cried softly, hiding the face down which the big tears were coursing, while the sobs shook her little body, then indeed it was another matter. Dorothy! Peggy cried, dropping down on her knees beside the despondent figure. Dorothy, what is the matter? What are you crying about? Aunt Peggy! It was a full minute before Dorothy could answer, and then the quiver running through the words pierced Peggy's heart. Ain't Christmas going to be over pretty quick? It comes next week, honey. Well, I'll be glad when it's gone. A great sob emphasized the statement. It's such a horrid time. Dorothy! Peggy was aghast. You can't mean that you don't like Christmas. It's a horrid time, Dorothy repeated with every indication of sincerity. Folks lock doors, and then they tell you to go and play, and there ain't any fang to play. And there's nice fangs, but you can't see em. She sobbed again as she painted the black picture, and Peggy hastened to explain. But, darling, you will see them on Christmas Day. Think what a good time you will have when you find out all the secrets. But I want a good time now said dorothy explosively for once peggy had no reply ready what was there to be said of course dorothy did who could reasonably expect this little human thistledown to fold her hands and wait patiently through weeks of christmas preparations in which she had no share peggy absorbed in her plans had found no time for the stories dorothy loved for the little after-supper frolics for candy pulls in the kitchen for walks over the snow all these joys had been discontinued with a vague promise of something very nice to happen by and by. What wonder Dorothy was dissatisfied. And getting ready for Christmas is almost the nicest part, Peggy thought, and here I've locked my door and shut her out of it. It's no wonder she thinks Christmas is horrid. She lowered her voice mysteriously. Dorothy, how would you like to help me make a Jack Horner pie? The hands which covered Dorothy's eyes dropped to her knees. The little face revealed was more suggestive of April than of December with the wet eyes shining and the dimples swallowing up stray teardrops. "'A Jack Horner pie?' repeated Dorothy in a thrilled whisper. "'Yes.' "'We will put in a thumb and pull out a plum? There'll be funny plums. Come and I'll show you. But we'll lock the door, because this is our secret and nobody must know.' Under the bed was a shiny tin milk pan and rolls of tissue paper, green and red. "'Now I'm going to cover this pan with green paper,' Peggy explained and there'll be a pasteboard cover with a big round hole in the middle and there's where we will put in our thumbs and cry what a big boy am i added dorothy hopping on one foot which with her was an indication of fascinated interest the cover'll be all fixed with red tissue paper and instead of plums there'll be little presents inside is it going on the christmas tree aunt peggy dorothy squatted beside her aunt carried away by the enchantment of the plan and as Peggy looked at the beaming little face, the isolation of her previous preparations suddenly seemed selfish. No, this isn't for the tree. It's going on the table for the Christmas dinner. The presents aren't nice ones, you know. They're funny little jokes. Here's Dick's present, a queer little make-believe alarm clock, because he is so slow about getting up in the morning. 
dick's a lazy boy to be my uncle said dorothy giggling rapturously i guess he'll be shamed when he pulls out his plum there's a rhyme to go with it dorothy that's part of the fun do you want to hear it dorothy promptly became a statuette of attention her hands folded and her grave face flatteringly expectant while peggy read aloud dick dick the sleepy head dearly loves his little bed here's a cure to a work for sure wind it tight set it right and then go ahead and blow out the light when morning comes how the folks will stare to go to breakfast and find dick there that's poetry said dorothy much impressed i learned poetry once all about tit tiny and tittens did you write a poetry plum for me too aunt peggy yes but i mustn't read you yours that's a surprise but you can hear grandpa's you see i'm going to give him a pen because he hates to have anybody else use his pens and dick's always doing it peggy cleared her throat this is grandpa's poem now here's a pen for the best of men and i wish it were purest gold it could not write in a whole long night half the love my heart does hold not for dick's abuse but for father's use is the pen i here present may it long keep bright and continue to write as well as the maker meant i'm going to write some poetry too for my christmas presents said dorothy fired to emulation i'm going to say this is for aunt peggy because she's eggy but i wouldn't be eggy i hope exclaimed peggy laughing with an abandon rare in the last ten days so your poetry wouldn't fit dorothy's face fell oh she exclaimed with perhaps a glimmering appreciation of the truth that art is long oh i didn't know that poetry had to be true she gave up her ambition for the time being what's grandma's poetry aunt peggy peggy unfolded the slip of paper willingly she was proud of that attempt we could have a jolly christmas though old santa claus should go we could do without a turkey at a pinch and to spare the cheerful holly and the festive mistletoe would rather in the nature of a cinch there is only one thing needed as you'll readily agree one essential that surpasses every other for all absurd endeavors the most imbecile would be just to try to have christmas without mother i'm going to have christmas without my mover dorothy remarked unexpectedly and peggy read on rapidly to avoid arguing the point though the chimney corner stockings should be limp on christmas day though the postman on his rounds should fail to ring though of all our friends and neighbors there was not a one to say merry christmas or some other proper thing still i think we could be happy meet the day with faces bright drawing just a little closer to each other but there isn't one among us who could keep his spirits light if we had to spend a christmas without mother dorothy had heard poetry enough by now she moved about the room keeping her plump hands tightly folded in her effort to comply with peggy's caution not to touch and peggy working busily at the construction of the jack horner pie found dorothy's presence no drawback to her progress as a matter of fact there is such a thing as hurrying till one is unable to accomplish anything the distraction of peggy's thoughts by the artless questions and the refreshingly original observations of her small niece was helpful rather than hindering her tense nerves relaxed she laughed out half a dozen times as if christmas preparations were a joyful matter instead of soul-straining nerve-racking ordeal through which one must pass in order to be worthy of the pleasures beyond the jack horner pie was finished and tucked out of sight when someone ran up the stairs peggy said a breathless voice out the door peggy oh ruth peggy sprang up with hospitable intent but dorothy frowned we're pretty busy she said warningly and in tones distinctly audible in the hall 
Peggy threw the door ajar, disclosing her friend's flushed face and heaving chest. You should put a coat on instead of running to keep warm, scolded Peggy. I'm warm enough. Ruth made an impatient gesture. Peggy, there's another. What, you don't mean? Shh! Ruth drew Peggy out into the hall. Yes, she replied, nodding mysteriously. It's another letter from Maud. Peggy regarded the square envelope her friend held toward her and frowned as she drew back. I don't want it. I shouldn't have read the other if I'd understood. Peggy, it's the strangest thing I ever heard of. It's just like the first. Just like the first? I suppose you mean. I mean it's word for word like the other one. Do you suppose she could have forgotten that she had written him and thanked him over again? If that's the case, she must be a very stupid person, Peggy pronounced judicially. Then curiosity prompted her to ask, Did Graham leave that lying around, too? Ruth flushed hotly. No, I took the mail from the postman, and I recognized the monogram. The writing didn't look natural. She must have used a different pen. Peggy refused to be diverted by the peculiarities of Maud's penmanship. Ruth Wiley, she demanded indignantly, do you mean to tell me that you opened your brother's letter? Ruth squirmed. Peggy, I just had to know what she said. If you wanted to know what she said, you should have gone to Graham and asked him. I don't think anything very good ever comes from doing things in an underhanded way. Don't be cross, Peggy, pleaded Ruth. I was never so puzzled and troubled in all my life, and I want you to advise me. I am advising you. Go to Graham about it, or else tell your father. That's the only advice I can give you, and the best you're likely to get from anybody. I can't do that, Ruth returned despairingly. Resentfully, she studied the address on the letter she held. Christmas is just spoiled for me, Peggy. I can't think of anything but Maud, and the way Graham is wasting his money, and how deceitful he is, and how poor father would feel if he knew. She swallowed down a sob, and almost remorsefully, Peggy threw her arms about her and hugged her. You poor dear thing. I only wish I could help you. But honestly, Ruth, there is only one way out, and that's to be frank and above board. Even if Graham has done wrong, silly things, it's no sign that he can't be brought to reason. I'd talk to him in a minute if he were my brother. Unwelcome advice seldom seems good advice to the recipient. Ruth went away dejected, with the purloined letter in her pocket. But Peggy's remonstrances had at least one good effect. Ruth resolved that in the future she would read no more of her brother's letters without his permission. Peggy, standing in the hall, her forehead knotted over her friend's problem, felt a little twinge of shame as she recalled her varying moods of dejection and irritation during the past week. The finishing of a specified number of gifts as a specified time seemed a trifling cause for disquiet compared with the burden poor Ruth was carrying. "'Aunt Peggy,' a timid voice spoke from the doorway, "'see what I found.' Peggy whirled about. Dorothy stood on the threshold. The doll's petticoat slipped over her arm. She was studying it speculatively. "'It looks some like a sleeve, Aunt Peggy, a sleeve to a little girl's dress.' Peggy stifled the irritable exclamation which rose to her lips with such unwanted readiness, pulled the petticoat from Dorothy's arm, and set it upon her curls. "'It looks to me now like a cap,' she said cheerily. "'A real little dunce cap. Look in the glass and see.' Dorothy gazed at her reflection in the mirror, and agreed rapturously. "'It looks exactly like a dunce cap, Aunt Peggy. And then I'd be the little dunce, wouldn't I? Or might it be?' She made the suggestion diffidently. It might be a little teeny petticoat, but I guess it isn't, cause then there'd have to be a dolly to go with it. And anyway, I'm not going to pry, cause Christmas is coming. Peggy laughed. 
after all it was better to have dorothy suspect than to have her weeping as if her heart were broken and want christmas over she sat down to her bureau scarf with less of the air of a sweatshop worker than had characterized her earlier in the day and as her needle flew and she abstractedly answered dorothy's comments her thoughts hovered about ruth poor ruth whose christmas was spoiled through no fault of her own whose joy was poisoned by the bitterest of all disillusions disappointment in one she had loved and trusted end of chapter eleven